This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Devontae Smith and Mike Golick Jr., two of the best athletes in the world, join me today on the show. Won't do a monologue today. Um, we're going to have Jordan Reed on this Friday to do draft quarterbacks and also last year's draft quarterbacks, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. Um, a lot to dig into this weekend. C.J. Stroud, the aforementioned young star quarterback. Prince, who was promised of Houston, goes to Cincinnati. Um, which is a fascinating AFC matchup. Teams that I think are both on the upswing in various. I mean, like, why can't the Texans make the playoffs this year um, with a really good coach and a really good young quarterback? Um, Bengals, I think, are working towards winning the Super Bowl. That got off track a couple weeks ago, um, but I think it might be back on. Browns, Ravens, really interesting game to see if the Ravens can keep that kind of offensive firepower going against a Browns team. I mean, like on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to be fine. The, the Browns, like if you saw the, if you saw the passing chart from Deshaun Watson on Sunday, like he's just not throwing down the field. Um, it's not happening. So the Ravens will take care of that. I'm interested to see Ravens offense against Browns defense. Um, but yeah, so it, it'll be interesting. Uh, Jets Raiders Sunday night. I'm not really sure what the guy who flexes games has been doing this year. I don't know if he's been out of office. I don't know what's going on, but there's been not a lot of flexes. So we'll get Jets Raiders this Sunday. Maybe we'll get Antonio Pierce um, doing something cool, being cooler than Josh Daniels. Get to dunk on Josh McDaniels for three and a half hours. Um, But that's about it. Giants Cowboys will be interesting. Lions Chargers. Chargers make a little mini run here. Um, I think the Lions course correct that, but interesting week of football. We will dive into it more on Friday here is Devontae Smith. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Devontae Smith, one of the best receivers in football for one of the best teams in football. He's here with Burst. What's going on, man? 
How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, we'll get to what you're doing with Burst. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the season first. I want to start with some controversy because the other day you threw an alley-oop to A.J. Brown, and he said the oop was bad. It didn't – so you were trying to do the Wade LeBron photo. He said the oop was bad. You said Braun would go get it from anywhere. Uh, give me the verdict. You've, you've probably been able to watch the tape over the past couple of days. Was the oop bad, or was this on A.J. Brown, Devontae? Everybody knows that no matter – how bad the hoop is a real dunker will make it look good so if it was me <laughs> i would have made it look good i completely agree i i i watched the tape i saw, saw from every angle how did you guys even come up with the idea to try to recreate that that photo Devonte? uh so the past couple of weeks aj has been you know trying to dunk and things like that so he was like man we should do the lebron and d way and we just went out there and just did it I love that. Um, are you a big LeBron guy? Is that or it was it was that AJ? Like, what's the what's your the the inspiration there? Uh, I'm not a big LeBron guy. I mean, of course, you know he's one of he's one of the greatest to do it. Sure. But uh, you know, it was just like something, just like man, why not do it? Yeah, of course. Um, all right, let's talk about football a little bit. Um, I want to start with your catch, uh, your touchdown catch, um, the incredible one on, on Sunday against Dallas. Your catch radius is unbelievable. You're not a huge guy, but you obviously make yourself play big because of the way you go, can go and get balls. Um, and I'll start here. How did you learn that kind of catch radius? Obviously, there's some God-given talent in there, but you have to work it at being able to kind of uh, get work like a vacuum and get any ball that comes towards you. Um, how did you learn – to expand your catch radius like that, Devonta? Um, I would say, you know, growing up playing basketball kind of helped, yeah. uh, you know, being able to, you know, get rebounds and things like that, that kind of helped. And then just that's that's kind of what the great receivers do. Um, you know, they can go up and get the ball at the highest point, things like that. And that's what I try to do, um, you know. And as you know, that's a quarterback's best friend, a guy that can go up there and just get the ball no matter where it's at. Now, wait a second here. So Josh Allen was on the show last week, and he talked about how basketball helped him in the open field, kind of improvising and understand pumping, pump fake and be on the line of scrimmage, all that stuff. He comped his game to Clay Thompson. You said you're rebounding, and that expanded it. Who? What was your hoops game like? Who, who, who can you comp to? Were you like, were you just out there playing like Kawhi? Um, I would say I was kind of like a, a rondo with a better jumper. I kind of do everything. Oh. Okay. Wow. Okay. Good. Um, all right. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about um, this Eagles team and what makes it special. I'm gonna start with Jalen Hurts because I think anybody who's seen his rise um, understands how how special he's been certainly over the past year and a half. But I think you know I think people have talked about his just almost supernatural work ethic and all of this stuff. As so I I think I appreciate Jalen Hurts, but as someone who sees it every single day, what separates him? from the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL? I would say his mindset, how he goes out there and he just refused to be um, to be stopped. And then just, you know, him going out there, the toughness that he has, the, um, the standard that he holds everybody else to, he demands everybody to play to the standard that he's playing to. Can you explain on the demanding thing? I mean, obviously you're going to be self-motivated, but there is, is there a time that he said, hey, we got – like that he's motivated you in, in, in a, a different type of way and, and, and gotten you somewhere you wouldn't have normally gotten? Um, you know, we, we expect to play a brand of football over here that's, you know, that relies on us. It's not, it's not about the other team. It's about everything that we do, going out there, doing the details um, that we need to – have the details that we need to have, and he demands everybody to have those details. You have to know what the standard is to play here. And he makes sure that everybody understands that standard and everybody plays to that standard. What's been your favorite 
throw that you guys have connected on since you've been in Philadelphia? Um, I would say probably the one from last week or last year, the um, go yeah. ball against the commanders. Um, just the ball yeah. placement was, you know, perfect. You couldn't put the ball in a better place. As someone, and obviously ball placement is, is key on like the throw against Dallas, as, as you just uh, as you just described. But like, what what don't I know about that kind of throw? Like, what what's the process of it? What was um, how does that that connection even happen? That kind of chemistry. Like, if you're trying to explain to someone like me who doesn't necessarily understand all the nuances of football, like what makes that throw and that catch so special? I would say the timing. Um, you know, earlier in you know camp and things like that. Me and him specifically, our, you know, go balls, it, was, it wasn't the best. We were never on the right page and things like that. It's something that we worked on a lot. And I would say timing has just gotten so much better. And with it being a double move, it was kind of like, okay, he has to give me time to work the double move. I can't take forever doing the double move. And, like, it just all timed up perfectly. And I would say that just comes down to us just working on it because at the beginning of the year, it wasn't there. Beginning of the season or beginning of camp? Beginning of the camp, it, it was not there. Okay. And, and then you guys just kept repping it? Yeah. Um, I, that, that's fascinating. And then the toe drag, too, because that, that seems like the hardest part of being a receiver. Um, how do you perfect that that kind of toe drag? I mean, are you working on your feet all the time? You mentioned, obviously, the catch radius earlier. But, like, how do you how do you sort of master that when not everybody can do that? I mean, I mean, we see some guys step out of bounds all the time. How do you master that? Um, so that's something that, you know, Coach Nick, he preaches on. Anytime you're on the sideline, drag your toe. And, you know, it, it became a habit to where, like, anytime we're jogging off the field, someone is throwing us the football. And, like, when we catch it, we always drag on the sideline. So, like, that's just something that in this building we just always work on. Anytime you're coming off the field, somebody on the sideline has a football, they throw you the ball, and you always drag on the sideline. So, like, it's just kind of like, you know, muscle memory at this point. So, in practice, guys are just throwing, throwing to you at the sideline to try to practice dragging the toes? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Is that um, – can you speak a little bit to the kind of detail-oriented coach that, that Nick is? You mentioned, obviously, Nick is somebody who preaches that. Like, what other details does he preach that would kind of blow people's minds outside the building? Um, I would say from just a receiver standpoint, the dragging the foot on the sideline, the turning your foot at the top of your routes and things like that to help you get from point A to point B. Um, he has his chair analysis to where if you're sitting back in a chair, you're going to fall every time at the top of your route instead of you – being bent over, chest over, knees, knees over, toes, and things like that. If you're sitting in a chair, you're going to fall every time. And it's true. Every time you run the route and it's like you're sitting in a chair, you fall. It was a really funny clip from a couple of weeks ago where you're watching the tush push from the side um, and you and the Vikings defensive back basically say like, all right, they, these guys are doing something over there. We're not involved. When you're that close to the tush push and you see the carnage or the brotherly shove, whatever you guys are calling it in Philly, when you see the carnage, you think what, Devontae? Man, I'm 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 a push a little bit, but man, look, I ain't trying to get up in that pile, man. Bad things happen when you're in the pile, man. Have you gotten caught up in the pile? Yeah, that one pile. Time. One time. Could you describe it for, for for folks at home? Um, for folks that's never been at the bottom of a pile, you can't breathe. It's just like everybody's on top of you. It's like you can't breathe, no matter how hard you try to breathe. It just doesn't work. Uh, how how many seconds are you like the pile? So it's probably like four seconds that you're you're at the bottom of that that sea of humanity. Um, I would say doing something like that is probably more like Kelsey and those guys. Like I think at this point they're used to it. They just lay there 
and like they don't say nothing they just be laying there just wait for somebody to help them up like they just sit there um why do you think being so close to it and obviously it's funny to me because everyone's like oh they should ban the tush push and it's like well let me tell you something they have a hall of fame center they've got lane johnson who's in the huddle yelling this should be fun like they're gonna the eagles are gonna be good in short yardage no matter what um so explain to me why the eagles are good at it and everybody else is bad at it uh the details you know that's something that we don't we don't just go out there and you know practice it at practice but like our walkthroughs it's the details of it you know making sure that you're foot to foot that you don't leave a gap and things like that and um, also half of it is just the will to want to do it like you said lane saying this is fun like those guys they enjoy doing stuff like that when yeah. we get to a one yard situation they are sitting there laughing like y'all know what's coming and there's nothing y'all gonna do about it so like they take pride in doing it what does the defense look like before when it's third and one or fourth and one and you're looking into whether it's the cornerback's eyes whether it's a linebacker's eyes are they just like oh my god here we go um everybody just be wanting to get so tight yeah. and it's just like getting tight is not going to stop it because you just get too tight and then james is going to get the ball and just go somewhere else with it like i honestly feel like there's nothing you can do unless like we fumble it i feel like that's the only way you'll just sit there and stop it if we just fumble it uh, hey, uh, let's do a little rapid fire here. You said in your top 100 uh, video this year that you thought you were one of the top runners in football, top route runners in football, but that you needed to get better at some things or had a way to go. What do you think you've gotten better at this season? Um, continue to sharpen the mental side of the game. Um, right. Understanding, you know, situations, understanding coverages, um, you know, diving into, you know, the DB I'm playing against, what he like doing, things like that. Uh, I feel like that's half the battle. If you can mentally be prepared for the game, then – Going out there physically is going to be easy because you've been doing it your whole life. Best cornerback you faced in the NFL since getting there? Patrick Sertain. Wow. What about his game? He's just like a technician. Like he doesn't yeah. fall for any move. No matter you can sit there and dance fly how much you want, he's not going to move. Yeah. Um, and then last thing for you, before we get to what you're doing with Burst, um, you, you won a Heisman Trophy. And that was out of character for the way voters normally go. They normally just go for the best quarterback on the best team. That frustrates me as a college football fan, frankly, because you look at someone like Marvin Harrison Jr., some of these other amazing receivers, they should have a better chance than just, okay, this this quarterback's 9-0. and We'll just start hyping him up. And, and you look at the Heisman odds this year, and it's, it's all quarterbacks. And I think Marvin Harrison's like fifth or sixth. Um, do you think that the Heisman Trophy should open up the more players, not just receivers, but I mean, I you know, if Brock Bowers had stayed healthy, that kind of thing, defensive players. Um, what what do you think about how the Heisman Trophy is given uh, as someone who who has won it from a non quarterback position? Um, I think it's how depends on how people view it. I mean, if you stat wise, you're going to pick a quarterback because they're going to have more numbers, you know, with the passing right. yards. With quarterbacks being able to run now, they're going to have the rushing yards also. But I think it should be on you know how important someone is to their team yeah. where if you take this person off the team, what would this team be? And then also stats do come into play too also. But, um, I mean, no doubt with Marvin Harrison, um, you know, he's probably the most important person on the Ohio state team. So, um, that definitely has to come into play. Completely agree. Um, tell us what you're doing first, Devontae. Um, you know, I've been working with verse, um, for quite some time now and it's so comfortable. Uh, you know, it's versatile and everything that you that you want, um, whether it's you going to work out, you're going to work, you're having a business meeting, they have everything that you want. And I think that's what, you know, drawing me to it is that I can go to one place and know what I'm getting every time. Awesome. All right. Devontae Smith, he's with Burst. Thank you so much for coming. This is football, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, man.
All right, thank you to Devontae. That was fascinating. Here is the host of the Gojo Show, Mike Golick Jr. All right, Mike Golick Jr. is here, host of the Gojo Show. Um, one of my favorite people in football. You're following Devontae Smith on this show. How would you rate your toe drags? Uh, my toe drags are extremely limited. I was in that group of offensive linemen because you see, especially in the NFL guys that are legitimate athletes, like guys that were great high school basketball players of or like the Lane Johnson's of the world. Well, I was going to say off, Lane Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. You think of those guys or Trent Williams, like legitimate athletes playing in the position in the entire time I played football, Kevin, I never once played a position other than offensive line. Like even at the peewee level, never touched the rock, always had my hand in the dirt. And so I'm just an offensive lineman, which means that all the rest of that stuff way outside of my pay grade. It reminds me a little bit of Indomitian Sue, who I, I did a long piece on when I was at the journal about a decade ago now. And he mentioned kind of offhandedly because he loves European soccer. Like he loves it. And he was really into it. And we actually almost did this bit where I wanted him to write a European soccer story and we just wouldn't like draw attention to it. We would just run it in the journal and just say, buy Indomitian Sue and we would just let it go viral on its own. But we didn't end up doing it. But he made the point. He was like, I was someone who loved soccer and wanted to play soccer and I just got too big. And like that, those are the ones you got to draft. Like yes. the Lane Johnsons, the Indomitian Sues, where it's like, I just wanted to be an attacking midfielder and then I became 320 pounds. What are you going to do? It's like, those are the guys who become the, the, the those guys go to Canton. A hundred percent. Anytime you see that a guy was at like one of those JUCOs in Missouri and yeah. played tight end, but was like 270 pounds, you just got to go and scout those guys and convince them, Hey, listen, you can make like $20 million a year, putting your left hand on the ground. Well, that's the, that's kind of the Matt rule thing is just yeah. to look at track times in Texas and be like, Hey buddy, ever thought, ever thought about <laughs> rostering up, making some memories as our buddy, Nate Tyson would say, making some memories and rostering up. Um, all right. Uh, so I re, uh, ignited my TikTok yesterday for the first time in a year. Uh, you're all over TikTok. I, you, you're in my algorithm. Do you have any TikTok tips? Talk about Taylor Swift. Yeah. Well, That's I have some Kelsey. I have a bunch of Kelsey interviews I'm going to unleash in the world because I've got, I'm putting out like Ryan Fitzpatrick and some of these other guys, Channing Crowder. I put up Josh Allen the other day and those guys are just not, not going to cut through on TikTok. It's just no. going to be Kelsey, Kelsey, Kelsey. That's all you got to do. Just got to feed the beast right now because yeah, I, I, I started dabbling in TikTok last year when I saw our mutual friend Mina Kimes getting into it. And she was always going to do that better than most of us because that's just how she operates. But yep. I thought, all right, I'll just lean into what I know and at that time, Taylor had put a couple of albums out and I did just the off the cuff album review and especially knowing like the oddity, like I'm a fascination piece. I'm a big, bald, bearded, tattooed, former 300 pounder sure. who also is well versed in all the Taylor Swift dialect. And that sold like hotcakes. The fa my favorite thing about it was there were comments when I was breaking down the album. They're like, why does this sound like ESPN is giving me Taylor Swift news? This guy should do <laughs> sports commentary. And I was like, yes, we've done it. Um, I love that. Uh, I have a couple of uh, of questions about football. We can keep talking about Taylor Swift. But I don't really understand any of it. Um, who is the best team in football right now? Because I, I, feel, I feel like this has been such a strange debate because the pool has shrunk but also maybe the Ravens are in this discussion now. I don't know. I don't know where to take it. You, you, you help me. Yeah. So I, I think it, it's oddly enough, and you'd appreciate this as a college football fan. Like we're at the point in the season where we're trying to bend, blend like 
the resume we've seen versus clearly what's starting to show up on tape. Uh, I, because... I actually thought about that. Like, how do you like the playoff rankings? I'm doing the yeah. CFP rankings in my head now with NFL. It's best versus most deserving right now. And right. so if you're going to combine the two, it's probably the Eagles at this point per, in terms of what we already know about them, what we've seen them performance-wise actually going out winning a bunch of these games, and like what I trust going forward, because there's that weird factor in this too that's always going to put, like Kansas City's always going to be firmly lodged in this because I know what they're always building towards. I trust the foundation of that team, but you're right. It right now feels like a conversation of like, Baltimore, I think the Bengals, even despite the record, because we basically saw off the first quarter of the season for them anyway, kind of fit into that conversation, especially if you're just going to silo it to the AFC. Uh, I'm not a college football fan um, after the last couple of weeks. I'm not uh, I'm not in tune with the sport and I'm pretending it doesn't exist. I'm going to try that, too. I uh, I'll tell you, Feldman asked me to come on his pod like a week ago and I went on it and we had a great time. But I've actually been trying to, as you would say in football, ignore the noise on college football because it just emotionally is just so draining. And then Feldman is like, can you come on to talk college ball? And I was like, I can't believe. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me <laughs> back in and I'm looking at recruiting rankings and all these guys who are uh, maybe not going to Miami anymore. Um, AFC North. I was surprised at the heat I got because – I went around the horn yesterday and I said that everybody's three of the four people said the Ravens, the best team, in the AFC North call it. It's over. And I said, guys, by the end of the year, it's going to be the Bengals because they're getting hot and they're really good. And they have a really good defense. It does a lot of takeaways. They have the, probably the best game plan in DC in football right now. And Joe Burrow is back like all the way back. And we kept trying to cope our way into Joe Burrow being back. Anytime we threw the ball 11 yards down the field, but like he's getting T Higgins involved. He's getting these tight ends involved. I'm just curious how you call that because I love this Ravens team, but like the Bengals, I think the Bengals are going the Super Bowl, dude. I, I would agree. Actually, I, I think, and part of this is also like continuity matters in this. So many of these Bengals guys have a lot of time under task. I understand defensively the back end's trying to do what the Chiefs did a couple of years ago, hockey line changing a bunch of young guys in there because you had to get ready some vets in the secondary because the Burrow contract and all those things were going to start to add up. I just think overall they know who they are a lot more. And Baltimore, by the end of the season, is going to be closer to that. But there's still things about this roster, especially the version of Todd Munkin's offense they want to implement in this that are working their way through. We're not that far removed from seeing drop balls and some of these things plague an offense that even has seen and witnessed the best Lamar Jackson we probably had since the MVP season. But no, I think on his best day, Joe Burrow is probably still a better quarterback. You've got two legitimate number one wide receivers, especially if T Higgins keeps this up. And uh, yeah, I mean, the Bengals defensive front, I feel like we're going to keep calling them the most underrated defensive line in football the same way we did last year with a coordinator who's going to be a head coach next year. Um, I just go back to, I feel like you can always reverse engineer a Super Bowl team. Like you can look back in five years and be like, of course that team won the Super Bowl. And when you think about Lou Anarumo not getting a DC job, or sorry, not getting a head coach job for another year, he should have been the, the coach in Arizona. And I think everybody in Cincinnati surprised he's still there, probably including big Lou himself. Um, and then you look at the roster, like T Higgins. I saw somebody the other day say like, imagine CJ Stroud with T Higgins. Like imagine that. 
And like, you're going to see a bunch of teams talk themselves into it. And then T Higgins just isn't going to be there anymore. Um, and you've seen them develop wide receivers and, and uh, who knows what a lot I mean, Tyler Boyd's under a manageable contract, even though it's, it's a, it's a veteran contract. Jamar Chase is going to make all the money. I think we're going to look back on this team in five years and be like, yeah, dude, of course they won the Super Bowl. Like that just, that's just how this works. And like, yeah, they, they're replacing two safeties, but like, that's fine. I'd rather be replacing two safeties than a bunch of other questions in this league. Um, speaking of the AFC North, I'm ex- you, you, how many, days did you spend with the Steelers I don't that's not an appropriate question like were you <laughs> no. there like, for like a month I was there for the full offseason program so I got okay. there for a rookie mini camp and was there through the final round of cuts okay great made the full final round of cuts a hell of a lot more than uh than than I've made in the NFL but you were around Tomlin and right now they've been out I want to get this stat right yeah they they're five and three through the um they've been out gained in each of their first eight games okay 34 teams have done that in history. And not surprisingly, of those 34, 33 of them have a losing record. Then there's one, and it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Can you explain to me, having been in there, and it's funny because you were a young player in there, and I've heard from veterans that basically Mike Tomlin's shtick when you become a veteran in Pittsburgh is like he kind of lets you in on the secret. He's like, listen. I got about three years worth of material here. So you're going to hear some of the same stuff yep. that you've, that, that, that you've heard. Feel free to just kind of zone out a little bit in the locker room, but you were a young player. So you were the target audience for yeah. these, uh, these motivations, these, the, the, the different things that the programs he implements. And I'm curious, just a uh, big question, explain Mike Tomlin. Well, I think you just hit on it right. There is while the messaging is so consistent day in, day out, you have all these Tomlinisms and he gets up and is the master of the press conference because that was you know, the one secret he let us all in on as they go through. Back then at that point, they had the rookie symposium. So all the rookie draft picks got to go and learn how to be a young NFL player. The Steelers would do that for all of their rookies in-house. So we're going through this training once a week where they teach you about you know managing your money and how to manage stuff off the field and stuff like that. And one of the places Mike Tomlin addressed was press conferences. He goes, it never matters what they ask me. I know what message I want to send to our fans, to the players and to the media. And so I'm going to use whatever avenue I need to get from their question to what I want to put out there because I'm in control of that. And so that control of that situation and how he wants to deliver the message to me was always the most Mike Tomlin gift. Like You've got the tailored messages like we talked about with all the Tomlinisms where he's going to keep it consistent every day. You're going to know what's expected of you every day you walk into that facility. It's going to be beaten into your head over and over again through those meetings, but that's clarity. That's what you want as a player. The other part is personal connection. Like the one thing that was very clear to me through those months there is, and that's the expanded roster. That's 90 man rosters in the off season. One through 90, Mike Tomlin's got something for you. He's got time for you. He's got something he knows about you. He's always approachable and available to you. And I was amazed at the relationship he had with everybody on down through that. I can only imagine what that's like now once you get to 53 in the season plus the practice squad. And then to your point, over years when you really get to know him of how different that is. And so he's got this incredible ability to connect with everybody individually, but understand, Hey, we still got a big box, some of this process here. And so let me whittle it down to exactly what I want as the expectation each and every day for these guys. That's fascinating. Did you just explain Mike Tomlin perfectly? I don't know. I think I blacked out there for a second. I just saw the standard as the standard staring at me across the wall at the front desk yet again over on Carson Street. 
<laughs> it just makes, I'm not going to tell the same five anecdotes I've always told about being in Tomlin's orbit, but it just, everything in that building makes sense. And you yeah. go in there. I've only, I've been in the training camp a million times, but I've only been in the facility once and in Pittsburgh. And I got there and like Kevin Colbert was just sitting at the reception desk, talking to the receptionist, just shooting the. And it was like November 10th. And I go in there and I'm meeting like Burt Loudon and those guys. And he's just sitting at the, Kevin's sitting at the front desk, just like talking to people. And he's like, Hey man, what's going on? And it's like every other place, 28 other facilities act like it's the Pentagon and everything. Nobody knows anybody's name. And it just, it actually is a family atmosphere in a way. And even Latrobe is like that, where it's just like yeah. everything is normal and the priests are walking around and the media can eat with the players that they wanted to and nobody thinks it's a big deal and i think that's the most important thing is even though mike tomlin there is a um a reverence for the players and, and obviously what they go through and putting the players first and their needs and all of that stuff there's also there's this feeling that nothing is a big deal and everything is fine and we're all just humans doing a job and i talked to this on sunday where i was just like you know this is it's not a million miles away from any workplace, these facilities. And if sure. you've got a good culture, you can tell. And then the teams, there's not a lot of teams that go two and 14, two and 15. And then I, I run into some of these guys and they're like, you know what? We did everything right. We did everything <laughs> right. And we're, we, you know, we have a good culture. It doesn't seem to happen a lot. And the teams that consistently win are the places where like, Hey, yeah, this, this makes sense. Yeah. And I think there's part of that. Like it just, it all seems logical there. Like you don't do yep. something and then wonder why and the way that it's explained to you and all that laid out in front of you. I think that put it pretty perfectly. Um, So CJ Stroud, dude. Um, Brother. I got an amazing question. We have Jordan Reed coming on on Friday and we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty on this stuff then. But I got a question on Sunday that I've been thinking about a lot. And it was basically, would you trade the first overall pick for, excuse me, would the Texans trade CJ Stroud for a guaranteed first overall pick, which I think on April 29th or whatever it was, absolutely. Um, on September 1st, probably still absolutely. Now I think Nick Casario hangs up the phone and says, don't ever, don't ever talk to me again. Um, the rise has been incredible. And I'm curious as someone who watched him a lot in college and now in the pros, um, what you think of him and even like, you know, people were asking me, like, what was the most impressive part? The most impressive part is the Texans team building makes sense now. Going all in on C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson. Accelerating that a year early. Hiring D'Amico Ryans now. Um, this all makes sense, dude. It, it does. And I think all of this, because a lot of this conversation also becomes a referendum on Bryce Young when people bring it up with mm -hmm. C.J. Stroud. Like, they're inextricably linked at this point. But it, it's circumstance does matter in so many of these things. Like for CJ Stroud, part of the concern was, you know, the Ohio state quarterback thing. You play uh -huh. with so many great players. You've got an offensive line that's keeping you clean. You've got a wide receiver room full of incredible players, all that stuff. What's the drop-off look on the other side versus, you know, you look at now in college this year, if you want to compare it to Drake may or Caleb Williams and the conversations yeah. you're going to have there. I think those guys you've seen organizationally, both of them have had to deal with, certain imperfections there that aren't going to exist or might exist at the pro level there, but absolutely has an effect. So I think for CJ Stroud, I've been most impressed by how decisive and poised he's looking at all these situations. It's basically been the Georgia game on repeat for every game that he's played as an NFL player so far. You've gotten the best out of him, but you talked about it. That's holistic there. That's, hey, even... Yeah. 
you know, when you had Laramie Tunsil out and Tyus Howard, you still had an offensive line that was doing a good job keeping them upright. They've had a plan for that. You look at a lot of their stuff, so much of it's under center. You've almost got like an offset ice thing going on back there. It's like a lot of the day one install stuff that you would see in a lot of camps that puts him in situations that are going to be advantageous. But then even outside of those, he's been emboldened to create. Just I think they built the house the right way. And so organizational competency is not something we would have associated with the Texans a while ago. But I think it goes a long way in that and just base level protection. Like that's probably the biggest difference between him and Bryce Young is the weapons and protection that Bryce has in Carolina versus what CJ's dealt with here. Jack Easterby Ewing theory. We didn't think that the Texans could thrive without Jack Easterby, but here we are. But what's funny to me, I think this is so unfair, and you probably heard it so many times with different players, but like CJ Stroud was only getting comped to previous Ohio State quarterbacks. Right. And I was like, well, Justin Fields is struggling, blah, blah, blah. And it reminds me a little bit of, um, and you got to go way back for this, but I remember Jeff Tedford quarterbacks used to get killed because Joey Harrington and all these guys, or, you know, that, that kind of system. And then one day they had Aaron Rodgers. And I was like, oh, what happened to the Tedford system? Oh, it turns out they produced the best quarterback this generation. So there you go. Um, And, you know, these things are true until they're not, right? And I just feel like it's – it's and CJ Stroud won second overall. I'm not acting like he dropped to the third round here. But I'm just saying in our evaluation, I think that that people want to paint with such a broad brush. Or – and this is what I – this is what drives me nuts about the kind of the anonymous scout, anonymous executive industrial complex. Some of these guys just haven't watched these guys. And so then you get them on the phone and they're just like, yeah, I haven't watched enough. But what I will say is that Ryan Day's offense, X, Y, Z, and then it becomes a game of telephone. And then all of a sudden this guy gets knocked even though he shouldn't. And and that's what's what's so funny to me about these these evaluations is like you call somebody – if I call somebody right now on November 7th and say, what do you think about Drake May? And, you know, he's been struggling the last couple of weeks. My guess is that half of the league has no idea what's even going on with Drake May. 100%. 100%. So I, I, I think that becomes a big part of it. And that's why it's been fascinating to me to actually watch the Drake May-Caleb Williams debate start in November now <laughs> right. as people have started to put out their early draft reports. And you had those couple of games, you know, starting with the Notre Dame game where Caleb Williams the defensive issues there started to bleed over into how the offense operated, feeling like they had to go out and score 10 points on every play. And so now it opened this door for, well, there's another prospect that realistically was always going to be, I think a one, a one B because they are very similar playing styles. They have been under similar duress at times in their particular offenses, but we got there sooner because all of a sudden, once we shut off the, well, Caleb Williams is going for back-to-back Heismans. Caleb Williams is a potential going to lead them to a national championship or a CFP or a Pac-12 title. Once we shut all that off, we sent into overdrive. Well, let's start to look at him as a prospect now and see, hey, how sustainable are some of these plays where you buy time for like 10 seconds? What kind of athlete are you? How short are you compared to Drake? On and on down the list. We usually don't get to that way we process these guys for a while until we get to the combine, until we get to March. And I've been amazed at how quickly we sped up the process because all the things available to him conversationally around college football got shut off because SC lost a few games. Completely agree. Um, the two things we overrate, number one is how much guys are in the league are paying attention to college football. They're just not. Yeah. Um, like I remember a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning after the Georgia Tech uh, no Neil thing, it's on the phone with, with the guy in the league. And I was just like, hey, um, you know, don't don't mention the Miami game. And like this was everybody was talking about the Miami game. And he was like, what are you talking about? I don't know. I've kind of been in the team hotel. Wow. Right. And like the other thing is. The other the way that the league is set up is everybody's siloed and there's not really like there's no reason that the Dolphins would have any idea what's going on with 
the Seahawks unless they're playing them later that season. And even then it's like a three week thing. And you think about the way baseball is set up or basketball is set up. There's so much BS time. Like baseball, they yeah. play not only play 162 games a year. There's like six hours where they're all at the ballpark, they're not doing anything, and so guys will just catch up. How's everybody doing? Hey, you like, what have you seen? Have you seen this pitcher? I don't like, I can't name a baseball pitcher, but hypothetically, if there was a baseball pitcher, I could name. I name him right here. Um, have you seen this guy? And then you end up getting more league intel. Basketball the same way. How often do you see two players at midcourt just kind of shooting? The- and saying, hey man, have you seen Paolo Bancaro? Unbelievable. Have you seen Chet Holmgren? Unbelievable. That that kind of stuff. With with football, it's like sometimes these guys work out in the offseason together or whatever, but otherwise there's just no real communication between these teams. Well, and especially among like the player base on that, but for everyone, like in it's in a sport where your career life cycle is a lot shorter, your physical health and well-being are on the line every play. So some of this, I think, is a bit of self-preservation where it's like, yeah, I don't have time to just sit here and kind of like gawk at some of the other guys around here because most everyone's just trying to figure out how to keep their jobs at this point week in and week out in this league, I think, to an even more heightened extent than some of the other leagues. There's also kind of a unwritten rules on like you don't want to ask what somebody thinks about somebody during the season like two gms wouldn't be like hey what do you think about this guy you know they don't there's there's less bsing than you think because of that i guess you could say i would imagine um going all the way back to the original point on this like where would you put cj stroud among these quarterbacks right now with him caleb drake if you were to just remove it all because i saw people doing this with trevor lawrence too who i yeah would say comfortably is above all three of the guys that we're talking about right now in terms of a prospect. Okay. So let me, let me thank you for bringing us back to the point because I was going to keep making different points about (laughs) gossip circles in the NFL. Um, But here's my thing. So he was six of eight on throws over 20 yards on Sunday Mm -hmm. for 199 yards, three touchdowns. The, the rookie numbers he's been putting up are on par only with Matthew Stafford and Cam Newton. Okay. And if you remember Cam Newton, I mean, that was just, that was a phenomenon. And obviously, I mean, I was going to say it, 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 it did keep up because they should have won the Super Bowl, what, five years into that thing. Um, but anyway, I, I think the ceiling for Caleb Williams is that, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I don't like the best you know, on November 7th of next year, everyone would be thrilled if they see Caleb Williams or Drake may do that. And so I'm taking the guy I've seen do it against an NFL. I hate to be a Stugatz here, but like do it against an NFL team. Like, guess what? TJ <laughs> Stroud did it. And and that's that's my viewpoint on it is like, how could you be better than CJ Stroud was on Sunday? I know it was a one-game sample size, but he's been making these throws every single week. And I saw some people being like, oh, I literally like two weeks ago, somebody was like, he really struggled in the preseason. F- the preseason. What are you talking oh about? God. He's making throws over and over and over again. Nobody's going to be perfect. He certainly has made mistakes this year, but like, I want to see if you can do this once you can do it over and over and over again. And like that to me, like the coaching has been good. The infrastructure has been good. Um, I like Nick Casario. Um, I've questioned some of his moves over the past couple of years, but like, again, you get a T Higgins in there, a number one receiver type guy with CJ Stroud, and they're ready to win next year. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. His success right now comes with absolutely zero filters or caveats. Like we don't have to do the for a rookie or for X situation no. anymore. He's just NFL good at quarterback. So I'm with you. There's no qualms about him going forward. We can do the isolated as a prospect thing with those young guys. But the bottom line is you're right. This is as good as you could hope. I think for any rookie quarterback coming into the NFL. And again, back to the original thesis is I know this is like a pretty beaten in cliched point at this point, but we really, really underrate circumstance and what these guys are walking 100%. into when we decide what their success or what their production in their rookie season early in their NFL career looks like and how that reflects on the way we evaluated them as prospects. They're all incredibly talented. Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams, to me, very similar prospect. Like, I think anyone would be lucky to have the other. It's going to be a flavor of ice cream thing, I think, for both of those guys. And then we're going to watch one likely crash and burn because some terrible organization is going to get a hold of them and drag them down to mediocrity. I did not want to bring up the Bears on this podcast. Come on, Golik. Um, ah! Hey, uh, last question for you. Shouldn't there be a bidding war as a college football podcaster for Connor Stallions? Oh, my God. It, well, Who it's knows kind of... more about college football right now than Big Connor? It needs to be like, because he's simultaneously an insider yeah, yeah. He could be an analyst because he's been around it so much. He could also, he also do like a Bourdain type thing because he's traveled so much throughout the college football world. He knows every good restaurant in these college towns. That is true. So you have a multi-pronged approach here on a bunch of different levels because I also think based on a guy who wrote a 600-page manifesto, he's probably got a little bit of stew gots in him. Like there's a little bit of like I know more about all of this than all the people I've watched and studied. I've consumed this at a level that has me primed in a way where he would have the audacity each and every day and you need that little bit of to you. So you could also just bake into the audio doodle the audio rights to the manifesto get that on audible or something oh. like that you know i mean that's like 40 hours of, of tapes there he could do it himself or he could hire somebody like i this feel is... like Stu Gott's reading the manifesto now just because we've said it his name a few times sure. feels like spiritually the right alignment i think Stu Gott's with connor stallions would be a, an electric factory oh, that, did i uh this is the other idea i had with connor he's stallions jobless, is like by an... the way. he's jobless he, it's still so free agent right now. Everybody yeah. take your shot. I mean, hell, I feel like I've saw the lady, uh, the that mother effer isn't real from the plane now yeah. starting to get media work. So sure. if she can do this, Connor the Stallion actually has real life insight and intel on these situations, but also marketability. Because what I said is if you're a Big Ten family going into the Christmas and holiday season this year mm. and you don't change out your elf on a shelf to a Connor Stallion on the shelf where you basically oh, just wow. take the elf and put a little Central Michigan hat and some sunglasses yeah. on. Now he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows what signs mean you're getting into your red zone package or your four-minute offense. So be good for goodness sake. The one thing that Connor could do is be like a Romo type in the booth where he predicts the plays before they happen, but not like Romo could do it through scheme, but Connor could do it through science. And so he could just be, oh, oh, he's going to be play action. Here it comes. And then you could really uh, see a game in a different way. I, I really do think that that's, that's an important part of this. Kevin in the, in the simulcast era in the like oh, multiple yeah. like ways to watch and consume a game. You couldn't tell me that there wouldn't be a market around the college football playoff of the national championship to turn on over to like ESPNU or ESPN news and see Connor stallions in the sign watch. 
So a hundred percent. And the whole thing about like Amazon's got machine learning to predict blitzes and stuff. You don't need AI and machine learning because we got a dude in sunglasses and a terrible goatee telling you what's about to happen. I had no idea that the war for humanity's soul as the robot revolution feels like it creeps closer and closer every day. We would actually find our strongest soldier being one Connor Stallions. Last thing on this, um, this is a Michigan specific take. The one problem with being sort of the moral authority on college football as Michigan fans have been over the past 180 years is um, that they can't do the final pivot of teams in a college football scandal. So you start off with, we didn't do it. Then you kind of go into, yeah, everybody does it. This is fine. This is a gray area. And then there's a couple of other stages in between that. And the final pivot, the final pivot is we did it. And it's good that we did it. Michigan fans can't do that. Michigan fans cannot do, we did it and I'm glad we did it. And that's actually going to leave the door open to some chaos here at the end. Because I think like with, with Miami in particular, you think about like Nevin Shapiro thing. I am so glad we gave, well, like, you know, Nevin Shapiro took money from a Ponzi scheme from people who, you know, my guess is there were some shady characters in there. He took that money and gave it to Ja'Cory Harris and Aldarius Johnson and all the Tommy Streeter and all these fellas. Good for us. We did it. We did it by the book. We stole money from random investors and gave it to college football players who who deserve more than 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 they got. Uh, Michigan fans cannot do. I'm glad this happened. I feel like that changes if they finish the dance this year, though, which that's my yeah. like my thing, especially as someone who recently this past weekend became a victim of Tyler from Spartanburg, who I still think was a, <laughs> was a Clemson plant designed to yeah. give Dabo the exact kind of emotional fuel he needed to fire up the boys going into this weekend. But Absolutely. as someone who fell victim to those motivational tactics on that trip to death Valley, I do feel like we've already seen and heard enough from the players on this team where this is the perfect chip on your shoulder thing that Saban and Kirby and all those guys chase all over the sport to try and manufacture they don't believe in you now Jim Harbaugh has the easiest thing in the world to walk into that locker room and everyone only thinks you're good because you steal signs and so now all the big burly corn-fed lads that have been force-feeding people their teeth for the last few seasons now are just that much more pissed off going into this pivotal stretch and if they do win it all then I think Michigan fans are forced to just be like yeah this was awesome of course I'm glad we did this thank you everybody believes in Mike Golick Jr. thanks buddy thanks friend appreciate you